One of the most important principles of biblical interpretation is to keep in mind the context of what you're trying to interpret. But often this results only in attention being given to the grammatical context. We tend to overlook the cultural context, the historical context, and the geographical context, among other forms. For a fascinating discussion of the overall biblical context as it relates to the stories of Lazarus and Barabbas, stay tuned. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. My colleague Nathan Jones and I have a special guest with us today. His name is Doug Greenwald. He is a down-to-earth Bible scholar who serves as the Senior Teaching Fellow for a ministry called Preserving Bible Times. Welcome to Christ in Prophecy, Doug. Thank you, David. It's always good to have you on here. Well, folks, the last time Doug was with us, he focused his amazing contextual insights on a passage about the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. And now, as we prepare for the celebration of Resurrection Sunday, we're going to ask him to supply us with some contextual insights from the last days of Jesus' ministry. Now, Doug, it's my understanding that you can teach us about the crucifixion and the resurrection from Bible stories such as Lazarus and Barabbas. I'm fascinated to learn <laughs> about that. Can you share with us? Let's start with Lazarus, particularly from John 11. Well, I love Lazarus, right? <laughs> yeah, great story. He sort of kicks off the last 40 days of the life of Jesus, that whole passion of Jesus, which I like to call the greatest story never completely told. <laughs> because the story of Lazarus happens just before Jesus' crucifixion. I'll give you a peek. Lazarus seals the deal that Jesus is going to die. Okay? Okay. But let's back the story yeah, up. Back it up. Okay? When we discover it in John 11, Lazarus is deteriorating. He's pretty sick. Okay? And Jesus is off in Perea which is in the Jordan Valley. Why is it, do we know he's there? Because it's winter. If you got an itinerant outdoor ministry, right, <laughs> you got to be where it's warm. It's a thousand degrees or a thousand feet below sea level. Yes. And that means it's like Palm Springs in the wintertime. Jerusalem's got snow. Okay? okay. So they know where he is. I won't take you through the arithmetic here, but he's two days away from walking. You walk 16 to 18 miles a day. Okay? So Mary and Martha, see that Lazarus is deteriorating, and, and now a, a messenger enters this scenario that's never mentioned, okay? And they said, go find Yeshua and tell him that the one he loves, as if Jesus doesn't know this, right? little manipulation here. <laughs> huh? I mean, we don't manipulate Jesus in our no. prayers, do we? <laughs> go find Yeshua and tell him that Lazarus is uh, quickly about to die, okay? So, the messenger travels for two days and gets to Jesus. And he informs Jesus of this. And this is what's fascinating. When Jesus heard this, he says in John eleven four, Jesus said, this is a sickness that will not end in death. Now notice exactly the very first thing that Jesus does. He gives this messenger a promise. Okay. Okay. And this is what Jesus often does when he's going to stress somebody's faith. He gives him a promise. Okay? So he gives him a promise, and then he gives him the reason why what's about to happen is going to happen. It will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Okay? And then we're told that Jesus loves Mary and Martha by Luke. Why? Because what Jesus is about to do, you'd think he didn't. 
And then Jesus stays two more days where he was in Perea. Now, did that ever catch your attention? It yeah, caught he, my attention. He didn't leave right away. Absolutely. He's, he's, so he's if your right. best friend was in hospice and you got a phone call at 8 o'clock at night saying, yeah. they're probably not going to make it through midnight, would you wait two days before you went to hospice? Go right no. there. Go right so, on. you know, there's something <laughs> puzzling here. Yeah. <laughs> but yet everything Jesus does is strategic and for a reason. Okay? Yes. This is deliberate delay so that God can be glorified, right? So, now, let's ask a few questions. Where are we? Well, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, you know, we're just at the backside of the Mount of Olives, two miles from Jerusalem. Jesus is two days away over across the Jordan, north a little bit in Perea. Okay? What's happened before? Another good question to ask. Well, we know two things from the Gospel record. Two people have been brought back to life on the pages of the Gospels. Jairus' 12-year-old daughter mm -hmm. okay? and the only son of the widow of Nain, okay. Luke 7. So, if you're Mary and Martha, this is your paradigm. Yes, Jesus can bring somebody back to life, but only if it's the first day and only if He's on site. Right. Okay? That's their expectation. Okay? Mm -hmm. So, a couple other things we have to bear in mind here. Contextually now, the Hebrew view of death is that when you die for the first three days, your nephesh, the Hebrew word for soul, hovers over your body. And by, by the beginning of the fourth day, the body is already in such a rapid state of decomposition, it stinks to the high heavens, and the nephesh flees. And upshot is, for the first three days, you're dead. But from the fourth day on, you're dead, dead. So as Miracle <laughs> Max said in The Princess really Bride, you're yeah. only <laughs> mostly dead. Now, why does this matter? Yeah. Okay. Because the rabbis have taught that when Messiah comes, this is how we'll know it, he, it, it's so difficult to bring someone back from the dead, it'll only happen when Messiah comes. Okay, only the Messiah can bring yes. people back from the dead. Yes, so the, the establishment in Jerusalem has now got a problem with the first day bringing back to life of Jairus and the only son of the widow of Nain, okay? Because if he really is Messiah, they've got a problem because the, the rabbis have taught that when Messiah comes, he goes straight to the temple, sets up his throne and reigns, okay? Now, Temple Incorporated is the biggest cash cow in antiquity, <laughs> run by the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin. Okay? Uh -huh. It's the combination of Wall Street and Walmart. It is really something. Okay? And if Messiah really comes and sets up his temple, throne in the temple, the gig is over. They're okay? out of work. Huh? Yeah. So, you need to understand the backdrop here. If he really is Messiah, they really have to kill him. Okay. But there's this ambiguity they're trying to create this first day bringing back to life. Well, they were just in a coma. The, the nephesh really hadn't fled yet. Okay? That's backdrop to this story. Okay? And they use that to discredit Jesus' miracle. Absolutely. He okay. can't be Messiah because that's too many problems. Okay. So, we read the text. Lazarus is, is falling away. He dies. Messenger goes to find Jesus. Jesus tarries two days. And by the time he gets to Bethany, it's the fourth day, right? Well, if he had left it once, it would have been the second day. That's mm -hmm. right. So, you never would have made it on the first day. So, freeze these thoughts. Now, become Mary and Martha, right? Lazarus deteriorates. Lazarus dies. No problem. Jesus will be here before the day ends. Yeah. Well, he didn't. Purpose. Are you disappointed if you're Mary and Martha? Yes. Are you disillusioned? Yes. Are you angry? Absolutely. They were angry. Consternation? Well, that's the second day. Now the messenger finally arrives on the scene. Boy, do I have good news. This is an illness that will not end in death. Um, <laughs> got news for you. He's already dead. He's dead. <laughs> are you sure that's what Yeshua said? 
Oh, I heard it. I, I know it was so important, I memorized it word by word. Well, it can't be. He's dead. Huh. Now, get this. They heard the promise. They couldn't believe it. Ever been there? Yeah, mm -hmm. we can relate to this, okay? So now the second day ends, no Jesus. Now it's the third day. And I'm in my intuition here, it's about noontime. I don't know whether Mary did it or Martha did it. <gasps> I got it figured out. Yeshua is going to bring him back from the dead, but at the, just before the end of the third day, before go. the nephews flees. Oh, this is going to huh? be special. <laughs> Really? I mean, get Brett Bear and Wolf Blitzer on the line. Get the crews out here. <laughs> this is going to be something. Uh -huh. I knew it. I knew we'd be special. He really does love us. <laughs> and the third day comes to an end. And there's no Jesus. Now, what do you do if you're Mary and Martha? How do you process this? You have been let down, right? He didn't deliver. I don't get it. But anyway, all hope is now gone. gone. Then word comes early in the afternoon on the fourth day, Jesus is coming. He's approaching. So Martha goes down to the well at Ein Shemesh, a place you can still go today where they met, right? He says, oh, Lord, if you'd only been here, he wouldn't have died. Jesus says, no, he, he is not going to die. And Mary didn't even go out, right? She's Then they switch roles, okay? And okay. they both say the same thing to Jesus. It's okay. like it's been rehearsed, right? If you'd have been here, Lord, he wouldn't have died. He will rise again. Mm -hmm. So then they get to the tomb. And basically, Jesus removed the stone. And he goes, Lazarus, come forth. And out of the tomb, wrapped in the claws, is Lazarus. <laughs> now, we got to put this into our contemporary setting here, Okay. Uh, say the mayor of whatever city your viewers are listening to, Dallas, New York, whatever. Say the mayor dies, and he's, he's loved by everyone, and he lies in state for three days, and everyone comes and view him. In the beginning of the fourth day, his will specified that he's to be cremated, right? So he is cremated. Now, in this example, Jesus walks into the crematorium. It says, um, <laughs> which chamber was the mayor in? Well, the fourth one. Open it up. So they open it up, and he looks down into this chamber, and there's a ribbon of ashes, six foot two inches long, right? Weighs about two pounds, still a little moist and a little oh, man. wet, uh, heated, okay? And he oh, says, man. Mayor, come forth! <laughs> and out of the crematorium comes the mayor. I mean, this is the significance of the fourth day, okay? This is intentional. This is deliberate, okay? There is no question now that Jesus is Messiah. The argument about three days and the nephish and the other two were in the coma, it's gone. Lazarus is exhibit A that Jesus is Messiah. By the way, Lazarus is now a wanted man. He's exhibit A. They got to get rid of him. Okay. <laughs> okay. And, and now they know they have to get rid of Jesus. He was better off dead. Yeah. Right. Huh. So they flee to Ephraim, uh, city of refuge, and then they go back into the Judean Valley until the last week of Jesus's life. Okay. Now. What's just happened? Okay? Lazarus is the Goodyear blimp flying over Jerusalem <laughs> saying, Yeshua is Messiah, Yeshua is Messiah. And they know it. There is no more argument. And they convene a meeting and said, it's him or us, and he's got to die. 
thing. Lazarus, the raising of Lazarus, seals the deal for Jesus. He's going to die. At the same time, the whole Lazarus scenario foreshadows the empty tomb and the risen Christ. Okay? That's the beauty of this passage. It completely foreshadows Bad Friday and Good Sunday. Beautiful story. It is. Now, pause here for a moment, okay? What have we learned? My goodness, God is unpredictable, <laughs> right? And you know what? His followers can't manage him. No. Can't manipulate him. And it's all about his glory. This word glory means to accurately reveal and portray. That's exactly what Jesus is doing. I'm accurately revealing and portraying what I'm about and what I'm about to do. That's the word glorify in that verse 4. It's the Hebrew understanding of the word glorify. So, some other things here. If we're dead centered in God's will, like Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were here, it doesn't mean life is easy. You know, because you come to Jesus, it isn't tiptoe through the tulips. Things, everything's convenient and easy. It's about his glory, not our convenience. So Lazarus had to make the ultimate sacrifice to prove Jesus was the Messiah. Yeah, and think about it. Lazarus has to now die again. That's true. He didn't stay forever. Mary and Martha have to grieve again. I mean, see what I'm saying here? This is about God's glory, not so much about our convenience. Well, let's pause at this point. In a few minutes we'll come back. And I want to take a look at, want you to take a look at the story of Barabbas and how that relates to the resurrection. Welcome back to Christ and Prophecy and our interview with Doug Greenwald, the Senior Teaching Fellow for a ministry called Preserving Bible Times. Doug, let's shift gears for a moment and uh, take a look at the story of Barabbas as it relates to the resurrection of Jesus. How in the world can you relate Pilate's release of a criminal to the resurrection of Jesus? It must be important, right? It's in all four Gospels. Great question. And you wouldn't be surprised if context mattered, would you? <laughs> Go for it. All, All right. right. All right. Let's consider Barabbas. Some things we know about him. Nathan, you've already, he's mentioned in four Gospels. Four Gospels. Very rare that somebody is mentioned in all yes. four Gospels. He also gets more ink than Judas Iscariot does. Huh. More Never words, of that. more copy. Yes. Now, the first thing that jumps out here is a linguistic kind of thing. His name. Bar Where's his first name? Abbas. Simon Bar Jonah. Simon, son of Jonah. Okay. Huh. Bar is son of, and then whatever it is. This is, starts with Bar, and it's son of Abba or Abbas, Aramaic or Hebrew. Well, we've run across this word before, right? Abba? Father, right? Yeah. Son of the Father. Son of Father. Let's put a plural on this. Maybe he represents the sons of all the fathers. Now, <laughs> in a theological sense, they have a notion called the federated person, the federated man. Adam is considered to be the federated man. He was the best possible man to stand for us, and when he fell, we fell, okay? And I want to suggest to you that Barabbas is the federated man for the passion of Jesus. He's our best possible representative <laughs> for the passion of Jesus. He is us, okay? Wow. So he's probably so well known that no one needs to mention his first name. Just Barabbas is all you need to say because he's well-known. He's a seditionist. He's a murderer, and he's a thief. Okay? And he's been tried in a Roman court of law and found guilty, a perfectly fair verdict. Okay? So now he's in a cell 
either in the Praetorium uh, or in the basement of Herod's Palace where Pilate is holding forth. It's one of these two sites where this unfolds here and he's awaiting his execution. Because of sedition, it'll be crucifixion, okay? Rome cannot tolerate sedition. The role of Israel is a special role actually in the Roman Empire. It's to be the buffer between the Parthians, the Persians in the north, and, and the Egyptians in all the grain production in the south. Can't ever let the Parthians steal the grain. 95% of the whole Roman Empire is run on Egyptian grain, okay? So that's why they can't tolerate sedition in Israel. It's just too strategic, all right? So I want you to be Barabbas, okay? You're sitting in a dank cell, you're shackled, the rats are nipping your feet. It's pitch dark, okay? And you're awaiting your death and you have no complaint whatsoever, okay? You're guilty and you know the consequences, all right? Now, I want to pause here. There's another theologian who once said this, when the holiness of God is the yardstick, the difference between you and I and Adolf Hitler gets lost in the rounding, okay? <laughs> That's a good point. See, we don't ever want to think too highly of ourselves. That's why I think we need to identify with Barabbas during Passion Week, okay? So there he sits. Meanwhile, outside here, unbeknownst to Barabbas, there's this chess game going on with Pilate and the Sanhedrin and the Jewish authorities over what to do with Jesus, okay? And Pilate doesn't want anything to do with having the blood of Yeshua on his hands. And so he sends him to Herod Antipas. And Antipas, who is the uh, ruler of the Galilean district, recognizes the political treachery of this and doesn't want to touch him, even though Jesus is in his jurisdiction, sends him back to Herod, or uh, to Pilate. And Pilate said, oh, I got a good idea. This is my master stroke. There is this tradition that the Jews have that in Passover, we always release a prisoner. So administrative staff, find the worst possible prisoner in the system that you can, okay? And I'm going to offer him, and of course the crowd will say, we can't do that swap. So, you know, save Jesus. This will save Jesus, and I'm out of this political tightrope. Well, if you're going to give a crowd an offer, you better understand your crowd. Mm. This crowd is not the crowd that said Hosanna on Sunday morning. Palm Sunday, okay? They love Jesus. 90% of the people have loved Jesus ever since Jesus said, blessed are the poor, okay? No one ever said, blessed are the poor. The crowd that's in Pilate's courtyard of Herod's palace is two or 300 hand-picked people who have been coached by the aristocracy to say a certain thing at a certain time, okay? When you get into the, the word meanings here, for crowd, the underlying word means gathering of people, okay? So it's not the same crowd. And that distinction is often lost, but it's important to they make They were paid here. protesters. Yeah, exactly, basically. and coached yeah. Yeah. and trained, all right? So Pilate says, okay, um, here's my new idea. We have this tradition, and I'm going to give it your choice. You can, we can actually crucify Barabbas, or we can crucify Yeshua and set the other one free. And he expects everyone to say, well, save Jesus. And the crowd says, give us Barabbas, give us Barabbas. Meanwhile, in this pit, the cell, Barabbas hears, give us Barabbas, give us Barabbas. And he has no context for that phrase, okay? And he takes it personal. Oh, man, they are so worked up. They want to kill me as fast as they can. 
And then a couple minutes later, he hears, crucify him, crucify him, not knowing that's directed at Jesus by the crowd. He takes it personally. Crucify him, crucify him. He says, it's over. Then he hears the shuffling of the jailer coming down past the cells, stops at his door, swings open the door, says, Barabbas, and his life is over in his eyes. You're free. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you're Barabbas, what's going through your mind? What? You're free. How, how can that be? Someone took your place. Huh. Are you with me now? Yep. Okay. I'm with you. <laughs> well, who, who took my place? Well, his name is Yeshua. You mean that rabbi? That one that some, many people say is the son of God? He, he's taken my place? Yep. You're free. Unshackle, unshackle, unshackle. He stands in the doorway. Where can I see him? Well, last I heard that they're winding towards Golgotha. They're going to crucify him. Wow. Oh, no. So he works through the crowd. And he gets a little bit there late, but he gets there in time to see. And he says, those are supposed to be my hands. He really did take my place. Now, I don't know whether that actually happened, okay? Yeah. But it could have. And if you were Barabbas, how would that have affected you? Yes. Because we are Barabbas, you're saying. Exactly. We have to identify with Barabbas. Now, freeze that thought. Let's go to the old videotape days. Push the rewind here. I want to go back into the cell, okay? I'm Barabbas. I'm chained. The rats are nipping at my feet. The door opens, and the jailer says, Barabbas, you're free. And Barabbas says, I'm not interested. <laughs> I'm going to stay right here. No, no, Barabbas, you don't understand. That's you're so free. It's an absolutely free gift. You haven't deserved it, but it's, it's yours. It's free. I'm not interested. Slam the door. Lock it up. Does that sound outrageous? Thousands of people do that every single day when they hear about the free gift of eternal life from Yeshua, and they say, I'm not interested. Barabbas. That's right. And that's why, see, Lazarus set the stage as to why Resurrection Sunday is going to happen. Barabbas is the reason Resurrection Sunday had to happen, hmm. to set the prisoners free. Wow, what a story. It and is quite a story. You know, it reminded me of the fact that uh, one of the worst aspects of Christian history is that early in the church history, uh, replacement theology developed and they began to argue that uh, the church, uh, church has replaced Israel. And the reason is that the Jews are the Christ killers and they were church even taught people to hate Jews because they were Christ killers. But Acts 4.27 says that truly in this city there were gathered together against thy holy servant Jesus whom thou didst anoint both Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, and Israel. The Roman authorities, the Jewish authorities, the Jews, and Gentiles were all responsible for the death of Jesus plus you and me because He died for all of our sins. We all have the blood of Jesus on our hands. Yeah, and technically from another point of view, in John, whenever he uses the phrase, the Jews, yes. it's reference to the aristocracy, mm -hmm. not the people. Well, 
I want to, in the time we have remaining, I want to get your perspective on something that really bothers a lot of Christians, and that is that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, one of the things He said was, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yes. What is your perspective on that? Here's the traditional perspective is there's Jesus hanging on the cross. It's such a horrible sight. A holy God turns His back on His Son, breaks the forever of the, eternity, the Trinitarian fellowship, and that's the pain of Calvary, okay? And if you're a Westerner and if you look at the words per se, I guess that's the only conclusion you might arrive to, although the word forsake has never meant abandoned contextually in the Psalms. That's a side point here. But let me suggest a totally different way to view this as a technical view from a, a linguistic perspective called a remez. Rabbis taught with a technique called remez, make a hearkening back to something that everyone knows the full meaning thereof. And when you deal in a culture where every young boy or most young boys have memorized their complete Old Testament scriptures uh, by the time they're bar mitzvah at 13, you speak in shorthand. So you say something, uh, a phrase, and it's as if you had said all of this, even though you only mentioned the phrase that starts it, okay? What Jesus said was Psalm 22, 1. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I would suggest another way to look at the last words of Jesus. It's a deliberate referencing back to Psalm 22. Yes. Where you look at the detail of how he's being crucified, excruciating detail. And then we once talked with a rabbi in Jerusalem that he felt that back then Psalms 22, 23, and 24 were unitized whole. It could well be that Jesus was referencing all three Psalms as his final benediction, his final prayer, his final statement. And when you read those three Psalms from Jesus' perspective, it takes your breath away. I think you're right about that in the sense that um, he probably quoted part or all of Psalm 22 because even Psalm 22 ends with the words, He has performed it, which literally means it's finished. It, it, it is, is accomplished. That's yeah. the original meaning. It's a double remez. It's bookend. Yes, bookends. And that has never happened in Scripture where there's a double remez. And, and people understood that that's what he was doing. Exactly. Welcome back to Christ in Prophecy and our interview with Doug Greenwald about the importance of context in understanding the Bible. Doug, it's been a great joy to have you on the program Thank today. You, David. Thanks for coming. Tell people how they can get in touch with your ministry. Well, if you go to preservingbibletimes.org, you'll see a wealth of resources there. It's CDs, DVDs, books, publications, seminars, conferences that will get you underway and help uh, equip you to understand the Bible more deeply in its context. Well, folks, that's our program for today. I hope it's been a blessing to you, and I hope you'll be back with us again next week, the Lord willing. Until then, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministry, saying, Look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. How did people live in the time of Jesus? The DVD set, Life in Bible Times, will help you understand biblical stories and gain knowledge about the culture of the time. This one hour and 45 minute video album contains four television programs on two DVD discs. The first program features agricultural techniques. The second program tells the importance of city gates both for external defense and for internal governance. The third program is about the Last Supper Jesus had with His disciples and how the actual event was very different from the famous portrayal painted by Leonardo da Vinci. The fourth program concerns crucifixion and burial customs. The album also contains bonus footage that was not included in the four television programs. All the programs feature the anointed teaching of Dr. Jim Fleming. You can get a copy of the album for a donation of $20 or more. That includes the cost of shipping. To order, call the number you see on the screen or order online at lamblion.com. 
The 2018 Lamb and Lion Bible Conference is scheduled for July 13th through 14th. The theme will be Prophetic Voices to America. It will begin on a Friday evening with a concert by a wonderful Christian band called Southern Raised. They will be followed by the keynote address delivered by Dr. Robert Jeffress, pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas. The conference will continue all day Saturday with both music and speakers including White House correspondent Bill Koenig, Messianic Jewish leader Jan Markell, internet sensation Billy Crone, Messianic rabbi Jonathan Kahn, and Dr. David Ray. The conference is free of charge, but you must register to reserve your spot. For all the details, consult our website or give us a call. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus.